Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. Well, good morning. Some of you are wondering what's going on. You're thinking, we're going to be here for a long time today. (laughs) Uh, We're wrapping up the series you asked for. We have a lot of questions that we haven't gotten to, so we're going to get get to those today. Before we do, I want to tell you about next week. We start a new series uh, called Next and uh, a battle uh, fought by all, and that's talking about how we're going to fight for the next generation. Uh, I'm going to tell you it's got an incredible series. Uh, we're we're going we're gonna to get into some things. We've got a special guest, Reggie Joyner, who is the uh, CEO of Orange. That's the curriculum that we use for our children. Is going to be here on the 11th. Uh, he is a world-renowned for what he does and, and helping the next generation. And uh, it, this is just incredible that we could even get Reggie here. Uh, but he's going to be sharing with us both services on that Sunday, so you want to be here. Uh, so I'm just telling you, that's coming up. We start next week, and uh, a part of next week is we kick off 21 days of prayer. And we'll do that on Sunday night with an evening of prayer and worship. And I will, I will tell you what's going to happen that night. We are going to light a fire in this place uh, by by calling on God to help us as we fight for our next generation. So that's what's going on. We're in this series. You asked for it. You called it. You pick. Okay. It is whatever you want it to okay. be. Really. I called it Stump the Preacher. You got a name for it, Kevin? Uh, talk really long. Talk no, really I long. I don't know. No. Okay. So, uh, so I got to ask you guys, is there a question you had as a kid that, 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 that was uh, one that was really hard? Sure. Who created God? Who cre- that was mine. It was, who, who was God's mom, okay? Yeah, who created God. D- did you ever get yeah. a good answer? Uh, no, they would always, and, and it makes sense, is uh, I am. He was. He just was. That's what I would hear often times. Yeah. He just was. He was here. And I was. Do you have a question, Adam? That was, that was pretty much it. How in the world did God start to exist? What kicked off his existence? Well, you know, I, I asked my mom and dad, I said, uh, I said, who is God's mom? And they said, go talk to your preacher. And he lived right behind us, okay? Uh, he lived right behind us. So I, I went over and he said, Mike, that's a good question. He said, Mike, that's a good question. And then he gave me a piece of sandpaper. And, uh, and, and uh, he had these old antique cars that he would restore. And he put me to work. And, you know, he never answered the question. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm still, you know, still, still struggling with that. So, if, if you uh, have any questions, I've got some work that needs to be done at my house. So come ask, I'll put you to work. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, but, but sometimes the, the, these, there's questions that we'll ask that you really won't get, until, get the answer until we're with God uh, in, in eternity. So uh, this, is what, this is what we're going to do today. We're going to hit a lot of different things. Uh, we want to talk about the one question that's the most important, though, and that's, uh, and that's what the sermon in the sentence is. The most important is, in question is will we choose to follow Jesus. And so, uh, in fact, I want to read to you just from, from uh, Joshua 24 and verse 15. It says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods uh, of your ancestors beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So we want to make sure that every single one of you uh, answer that question because it is the most important. 
important question. So we've got five questions. These are all questions you submitted back in April and the beginning of May, and it's taken us that long to get the answer. So we're going to jump into these and, and, and try to answer them as best that we can. Uh, the, the first question that, that we had that, that, that I get to answer is, what does the Bible say about cremation? What does the Bible say about cremation? Nothing. Okay, Kevin. Okay. <laughs> Actually, you know, it is one of those things. It really doesn't say anything about cremation. In the, in the Christian church, the group of churches that we're a part of, there is a saying that says, where the Bible is silent, we're silent. Where the Bible speaks, we speak. And so I, I'm not going to tell you that there's one way or another. It, it just simply, uh, it just doesn't speak to the issue of cremation. Uh, so, so our church doesn't take an official stance on it. There are other churches that will, uh, but, but we've chosen not to speak where the Bible doesn't speak, and we will speak where it does. This is what it does say in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 4. It says, now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, that earthly tent is the body, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So, so that's where we really land on it, is that that earthly tent, when it's destroyed, it's done with, and, and, and what you do with the body is your business, okay? Uh, and now, now, this is what we know. Job says this in Job 34, he, and you've heard this at funerals, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Okay, and what he's talking about there is the natural decaying process, you know, uh, that, that's what we all will return to, uh, is to the ground, just like that. Now, the cremation process is actually speeding that up. It, it makes the decay happen a lot faster. And, and, and so when we look at that, we say, well, it, it, it's not a whole lot of difference. Now, now, if you're paying for it, a burial is a, is a lot more money, and a cremation is less than 20% of that burial. Uh, so for some people, it's an economic reason. For other people, it's an, an, an ecology reason, is, is they don't want to use the land. But can I just tell you, God's Word just doesn't tell us one way or the other about that. So, so the better question is, not where will I put my body here on this earth, but the better question is, where am I going to spend eternity? And have I, have I got that taken care of? So, so uh, Adam, you've got the next question. I'm glad you have it, and I don't. So <laughs> yeah, I yeah. made sure you got that question. That's great. I'm excited about it. I did want to say about the cremation issue, though. I saw this on Facebook. Mike's rolling his eyes because he knows oh. what I'm about to say. But if you choose to be cremated, I've always thought it would be fun to, to take some popcorn kernels and just down them right before you pass away and make the cremation <laughs> process so much more fun. So... Would you pop him <laughs> on the back of the head? Be a time to remember. All right. Well, hey, the, the question that I had is, who are the sons of God in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4? This is one of those passages that even as a kid, I would read through this passage and skip this part because it just seemed confusing. And we didn't have Google then, so I didn't have an answer. But, uh, but, do, um, do you trust everything I, you I read on Google? most of what I read on Google. Oh. So um, let me read the passage to you. We'll see if you want to skip it or not. But it says, When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God went to the daughters, of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. All right, so the, the concern here is whether or not the sons of God that are listed in this passage are talking about 
um, uh, angels that are coming down um, and, and intermarrying with people and creating these Herculean type figures or, or whether or not this is something else that has a different explanation. Well, I've, I've read a lot of different arguments on both sides of this from Google and some other resources that are a little bit more scholarly as well. And people fall into really one of two camps. One says that this is talking about angels. The sons of God were angels that fell intermarried with women. Another um, approach says that these are men who are true believers committed to the service of God. There's scriptural evidence for both. Let me give you some passages you can look up later, but the Bible actually uses this term sons of God in both of those contexts. Passages that refer to angels as sons of God include Job 1.6, Job 2.1, Job 38.7, Psalms 29.1, and Psalms 89.6. They all talk about angels as sons of God. But passages that refer to ordinary men with this exact same term include Deuteronomy chapter 14.1, Deuteronomy 32.5, Psalms 73.15, and Hosea 1.10. So really, you could make an argument based on that on either side, but if you look at the context... And the fact that the Bible doesn't talk about any Herculean figures that existed after this, um, I reached the conclusion in my mind that this is actually talking about normal people, people that were following God's heart up to this point. I believe what this passage refers to is the first instance of mixed marriages between believers and unbelievers. The sons of God in this passage were descendants of Seth. They were in the godly line of Seth. They found women that, um, that caused them to be enticed to the point of abandoning their spiritual heritage, um, rebelling against God, and marrying these people who were in the line of Cain. These men saw something beautiful. They pursued it even when it meant rebellion against God. They trusted their eyes, and they followed the lusts of their heart more than their love for God. Here's the thing. We do that, too. I mean, people all the way from the beginning of time with Adam and Eve, they chose to pursue things that enticed their eyes, that enticed their heart, that pulled them away from God, and we do that too. Um, the book of 1 John addresses this, um, talks about the consequences of these actions when it says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives for Ever. You see, in this passage, John teaches that these things that we pursue in life, these worldly lusts are passing away. And those of us that choose to surrender ourselves to him, we're passing away to the only way that we can find life, new life, like we've already talked about with these baptisms and whatnot that took place today, is, is to follow the will of God. So the moral of the story, though, is, is not necessarily that we should try our hardest to never mess up and to obtain righteousness on our own, but it's, it's to recognize that we're always going to fall short of that and to lean into the gift of Jesus Christ that offers us that gift anyway. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So really the important question is not who are the sons of God in this passage. We can disagree on that. I had somebody meet me after the service and say, good job, I disagreed with everything you said up there. That's okay. 
Um, we can disagree on issues like that as long as we come to terms with the one that matters most, and that's whether or not we're going to be children of God by choosing to accept Jesus and follow his plan for our life. All right. Yeah, did, I had somebody disagree with me. Can you believe that? Yeah. So, so, I can't. That was me. No, oh, no. <laughs> now, we, we want you to know we do believe in marrying angels because all three of us married angels. That's the truth. Hashtag. Guys, truth. now, if you would turn to your wife and say, and I married an angel. This is your chance. This, this is your chance. You're going to have right a better here. afternoon if points. you do it. I'm just telling you. So, uh, yeah, we do believe in marrying angels because we definitely married out of our league. Hey, the next question is, what does our doctrine say about predestination? What does our doctrine say about predestination? In, in our set of churches, we don't typically have a, a, what we would call a set of doctrines. Uh, that, 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 that we have that, that official stance. We typically are, are doing Bible study. But, but this idea of predestination, election, or being chosen it is a huge question. It's an argument. It's a discussion uh, between all sorts of people all the time. And, and so there are two sides to it. There's the Calvinist side. And the Calvinist side says that, they're, that the people are predestined. There's a, a, a course set out for them. They've been elected. They've been chosen by God. And then the other side is what they would call an Armenian, uh, and, and that is that, that everything is left to us and is free will. And now, can I just tell you, there's extremes and then there's everything in the middle. And it has been the subject of years and years of discussion. I had a doctor, he was replacing my shoulder, and he literally is one of the best in the world. And his question to me as he was getting ready to start the surgery, he says, Mike, he says, if you're a Calvinist, you think that God sent me here, insinuating that he is the best in the world, which he may have been, sent me here to do surgery on your shoulder. And he says, if you're an Armenian, you just think it happened. And I said, well, I have a different view. I said, I, said, uh, I said, Steve, I think God sent me here to talk to you about Jesus. And then he said, put him to sleep. <laughs> so, I, you know, I tell you, it's out there. Even those that don't believe in Jesus look at this and they have lots of questions. There are even, there are even uh, areas in science that says everything is on a path and it's just a, a matter of, of, of uh, atoms and different things lining up in the right way. So the Calvinist believes this way and the person that believes in predestination believes that God identifies those that are called, those that are chosen. And, and, and they really don't have any choice in it. And those that aren't called, tough luck. Okay? Uh, now, now, I will tell you how I believe. There are very smart people that believe that, and there are very smart people that believe what I'm getting ready to tell you. I, I, I believe that, 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 um, that, that if you have a conviction uh, about your life and about your sin, and you repent and turn to Jesus, that you're just fine. You're saved, okay? Every single one of us can do that. Now, now the, the Calvinists would say uh, that, that there's a limited atonement and it's not for everybody that you have to be chosen. And uh, I, I would have to say, if I read God's word where it says all, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his, you know, his, his son for everyone, I think that's, that's what we're getting at there. Uh, but I, I really believe the answer really goes back to the Old Testament. You remember in the Old Testament, the people of Israel were called, called God's chosen people. He chose them 
to, to, to bring Jesus into the world, to, to, to share the message. And, and they had a path. Now, they didn't do a very good job of following that path, did they? No. no, not very good at all. But you know what? God still chose them and used them and helped them along the way. A couple of weeks ago, I went over to see my son in LaGrange, and on the way back, I put on Google Maps, and, uh, and Google was directing me, and uh, I got to a place where I wasn't paying attention to Google, and you know what? I, it took me a lot longer to get home uh, than I counted on, okay? In fact, I ended up in Macon, and that's not where I wanted to be at all. Why? Because I didn't pay attention, Okay? The, the, the map was predetermined, it was set. I, I had a choice on whether or not I followed it. Uh, another way to look at it, let's say the Falcons uh, uh, get a, a, a college player in the draft, a great, a, a great quarterback. Now, they've chosen him, but you know what? He's not, he's not a player there until he signs on the dotted line they, that he chooses them. So this is what I'm telling you about predestination. We don't have an official stance on it here. If you believe that way, I'm not going to argue with you. You're never going to hear a sermon about predestination here uh, because I can make a case for both ways. Uh, but, but this is what I ultimately believe, that every single one of us has a choice to make, and that's to choose to follow Jesus. And, and when we do, we'll be used by him. So the, the better question here is, are we walking on that path? So uh, uh, that, that's an important question. I think you have a question now about Fig Newtons. That's it, something like that. Okay. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, I w- I, can I just say, I'm so grateful that you guys are willing to ask questions that may be difficult, because the truth of the matter is, many of you guys probably had the questions and you just didn't put them down. Uh, I think there's something to wrestling through our faith uh, and continuing to grow in that. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. And this, as we're prepping for this, I think that some of this is, is really kind of a teaching for us as we've mm-hmm. been preparing and for you guys as well. If you read this, uh, this next scripture, I'm going to start out by reading the question. Why does Jesus say no one will eat from the fig tree again? Will eat fruit from the fig tree again? Matthew 21, it says this, it says Matthew 21, 18 through 20. It says early in the morning as he was on his way back from the city, he was hungry. He goes on and he says, seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except for leaves. That's going to be important when we come back to it. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. And he says, when the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig uh, tree wither so quickly, they asked. Now, you could look at this and you could think, man, Jesus was in a bad mood that day, right? Like, he was hungry, he had his toast ready, ready for some jam, and he's like, curse you, tree, right? But the truth of the matter, it goes much deeper than that. You know, a lot of scholars, when you read the context, the beginning of Matthew 21, what you begin to see is the triumphal entry, which is when Jesus is entering into Jerusalem during Passover. Man, when Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, he is a man on a mission. He has something in mind. He comes up. Uh, the very next day is when this story begins to happen. There's, two count, there's another count of this in Mark 11. You can read through this. Uh, it says, as he is going towards the temple, right before he like turns over tables and he clears the temple out and he cleanses it because he's going out. And he says, saying, you guys have worshipped here for years and this is supposed to be a good place, but you're taking advantage of what I've asked you to do. This is to point people towards God. Instead, you're making them pay for this, right? In the middle of that, he cleanses this, but before he gets there, he sees this tree. And he begins to set a tone. Jesus spoke to, he spoke to kind of three types of people while he was here on earth. He spoke to his disciples. 
He, he then spoke to sinners, and then he butted heads with these next guys all the time, right? He spoke to the righteous, spoke to the holy, spoke to those that were the teachers of the law. You know, in the middle of this, many scholars believe what he is saying is, you Israel, you teachers, you that have looked so good, you religious types, you have taught and you have had all these gifts and talents that I've taught through you guys for years, but no longer. This was Jesus saying, I am now here. You're missing this. You know, what's important is this. These guys, they were the ones that would go to the temple courtyards and their prayers would be said loudly. They were the ones that were doing the sacrifices and they looked really, really good on the outside. Y'all know somebody like that? Sometimes I battle with this. I think maybe as pastors, maybe you guys can identify with this. Sometimes we, we put on this identity that says, well, this is how I need to look because I'm a pastor. I know you posted something similar to that this week. The truth of the matter is it comes down to this. Do I, am I producing fruit? That's what it comes down to. It isn't so much what I look like on the outside. Am I producing fruit? Am I loving my neighbor as myself? Do I love Jesus so much that I'm willing to give up things? Am I showing gentleness and kindness and self-control? These are important and that's what brings value to this. So are you producing fruit? And coming back to this, this fig tree was not. It looked great on the outside. But as you began to further inspect it and as Jesus began to further inspect it, you ended up seeing that really the fruit wasn't there. And uh, that's the question we all need to ask ourselves today is, am I producing fruit? That's a hard question, too, because it's, it's easy to look good on the outside but not, not, not have the fruit there. Sure. So I wouldn't want to be that tree, I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh. uh, the, the, the last question we have for you today is, is an interesting one. It was kind of broken up on the, uh, when we got it, but it says, I was wondering about Jesus going through hell and getting the keys. I was wondering about Jesus going through hell and getting the keys. I'm going to tell you where this seems to be centered. There's a passage in, in, in Matthew 16, and, and there's a lot of things that, that are believed uh, about it out there, but uh, it seems to be centered in Peter's good confession. You remember the, the passage uh, that, that Jesus asked them, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, Elijah, John the Baptist, uh, and some other prophet, Jeremiah maybe. Uh, and then he says, who do you say that I am? And, and this is what Peter says. He says, I believe that you are the Christ the son of the living God. What he's saying there, the Christ is the Messiah, that you're the son of the living God. And that's called Peter's good confession. And then what Jesus says to Peter after he says that is where I think this question comes from. I'm not absolutely positive, uh, but, but let me just tell you what it says there in Matthew 16. It says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by men, but by my Father in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So he's talking about keys there. He's talking about Hades. So I kind of feel like this is probably where that question is coming from. Hades is not hell. Uh, some translations will do will translate that way, but but Hades is really the abode of the dead. If you do all that study in there, so he says he says uh, the, the the gates of Hades will not prevail and and, uh, and will not overcome it. Now this is interesting because he says Peter, here's what I'm going to build my church on, and that rock is Peter's good confession that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. And he says, Peter, I'm going to build that on that great confession there. And then he says, I'm going to give you the keys. 
uh, to the kingdom. I'm going to give you the key to opening the door for people. And that key is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And you know what? Those are the same keys that you and I have been given. We have been given those keys because we can share Jesus Christ with people and open up all eternity for them. Uh, So the rock... That's Peter's good confession. The keys are what we have in in being able to share the gospel, the the message of Jesus, and and we can unlock eternity. So you and I have a a huge job to do. But, But at this time, can I tell you what's happening? Jesus is telling the world, hey, death is done with and we're gonna win. So, so here's the, the more important thing I, I would ask. It, it isn't about the keys or, or did he go into hell? No, it, it is, have I proclaimed Jesus Christ to people? Have I shared those keys with other people so that they can know about Jesus and have eternity open for them? So that, that's, that's our, our five questions today. But I want to come back to the very important question that was right there at the end. You're going to see the scripture come up on the screen. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Okay, that's a great question. We've all got to decide that. And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. You know, we can talk about what everybody else believes about Jesus, but here's the important thing. Jesus brings it home when he says to them, but what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? That's the important question. If you answer that question, I will tell you when I answered that question, my eyes were opened in a lot of different ways to other questions. You know, there's so many questions that we so often get. I I really don't worry about a lot of those things because I've got the one question answered, and that's that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior for all time. And we need to share that with other people. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at